Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast, your fast-paced podcast for Formula One news and analysis. Throughout the Formula One season, we will be recapping every race as well as breaking down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race on the Formula One schedule. Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you have just discovered the rush of racing, this podcast has something for you. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. We have lots to talk about following the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Jordan, I finally said that without any falter. Uh, an exciting race in Italy. We got our first looks at how these new cars handled the sprint quality at the Temple of Speed. And devastation absolutely striking Ferrari in their home race. Ten laps left. Charles Leclerc had a disastrous spin while trying to regain second place behind Sergio Perez, who also had a fantastic race in the final stages, uh, which cost him both valuable points and positions uh, and a spot on the podium. But my boy Lando Norris, you guys, made the podium in third place, helping my uh, first episode predictions of the, of the McLaren 70 75% chance of podiums this year. So let's hope that that continues. Red Bull were one and two for Stappen and Perez having just fantastic races ahead of everyone came storming back. Uh, but boys, let's get, let's get right to it. Uh, Tyler, Jordan, welcome Tyler. What were your thoughts on uh, sprint quality? This was our first kind of look at the, the new season, new cars. Yeah. We had a long weekend this weekend. It was a, it was our first sprint race. Um, so Friday was qualifying and then the sprint race Saturday and the race on Sunday. And it was all, it feels like it was, three completely different weather type days. We had all rain during qualifying and then it didn't rain at all during um, the sprint race. And then it was kind of hit or miss yesterday. And it was weird actually just to start talking about the rain right away. But uh, the one thing I kind of found interesting was every team had a different way of talking about rain, whether it was it's coming in 30 minutes or it's coming, uh, it's like a 10% chance it's going to come in 10 laps. And I kept thinking, I was like, who's is, is the way they talk about it uh, also code? Like, cause you know, when Lewis Hamilton talks about his tires, like my tires are not doing well. Sometimes it's like, okay, well that means that he's like, leave him alone. It'll be fine. Like, so if to my head just got thinking like formula one code uh, is <laughs> like, if they talk minutes, like if one team says, if we tell you the weather in minutes, it means it's, it's the opposite. Or if, if we tell you in laps, that's what's actually going to happen. Um, so it was, it was weird. And it was, uh, again, like qualifying was strange. There was a ton of red flags and everybody kept making the same. I don't even know if it's a mistake, but that same white line on one of those corners spun about four or five guys, which just changed, um, the kind of the outcome of qualifying and qualifying is less of a factor because of uh, the sprint race, but it was three to me, it was three completely different days of racing. I agree. I think Tyler summarized that part of it really well. It, it really did feel like three unique uh, and different experiences. And obviously weather always is a variable that is fun and exciting and, and, and some drivers really excel in and some drivers don't. So whenever there's rain forecast for a weekend, you know, you're at least going to get some, you know, interesting sort of uh, storylines out of it. And we certainly saw that um, the sprint was brought in, I think at the beginning to try to just add a wrinkle of competitiveness and wheel to wheel racing that we love a little bit more of that. Give us a little more opportunity for some of the teams that might, not be great at qualifying when it just comes to straight speed and the traditional qualifying to, to change that up. 
I don't know if that I don't know yet, like if I'm as hot on the sprint as, as everybody else is. I don't know if it's really doing that much to really shake up how the eventual grid is in the end. We still see the two top teams seem to be there. Now, maybe it's also like this might not have been the best track to choose to do a sprint. They, I know obviously you have some great high speed sectors on this track and a lot of um, I mean, it's nicknamed the Temple of Speed for a reason. But there's only one DRS zone. And even in the race, we saw. Um, that there really is only one and a half places to really do overtaking anyway, when you've only got 22 laps and all those cars bunched up and everybody's got the ability to follow really closely with these new cars. There just wasn't as much drama as I think they had probably anticipated. We saw the sprint last year at like Silverstone, let's say where there's a lot more opportunity for, for overtaking. And that's where we really saw. And I think that was in Brazil, if I'm not mistaken, but both of those, we saw like amazing sprints um when it came to you know drivers from behind lower grid positions make up spots hamilton i'm thinking of in brazil really benefited from the sprint that's what i think f1 and and the fia is hoping the sprint is i don't know for me i kind of was a little little bit uh disappointed with how it went this weekend at the end of the day with those sprints though like it's it's (laughs) i mean i'm saying something obvious too it's going to benefit some cars and some teams whereas it's obviously not going to benefit others and you're going to get that regardless of which uh which track we see the sprint on no yeah i think it what i think what the sprint race essentially is supposed to kind of do is that if you're a lower team or a team with less expectations to fill into the top you can take a higher risk in the sprint race to get yourself a better place for the actual race on sunday whereas if you're a top tier team your the risk reward is like you can't be taking those risks because you're at the top right now and you have a car that can always get to the top but you don't want to start you don't want to slip up and make a turn on the corner put yourself in the wall and be out for a sunday race so it really does it's i think it what it's supposed to do is benefit someone who's kind of at the back of the pack give them another chance to to kind of get a little bit ahead and hold on to that spot um, throughout Sunday's race. And I think that Brazil, going back to what Jordan said, Brazil and what Lewis Hamilton did last year is the perfect example of what can make a sprint race exciting. Getting into the race itself, some really great tight races, but that must have been incredibly frustrating for Lewis Hamilton to constantly be trying to catch Pierre Gasly and not having any shot at it, partly yeah. to do with DRS, but also to do with the fact that once DRS was open, so too did Pierre Gasly have DRS. So any time or any chance he had at making a run at the, the straightaways. Jordan, I want to ask you quickly here, because you kind of talked about the, the, the DRS zone in this race. We weren't able to see DRS early in the race due to its, un, you know, it's, it's being unsafe with the track conditions being too wet. Did they hold out too long? If we still had um, the directors being able to speak to the FIA during race, would we have seen this uh, this DRS open earlier? Uh, you know, what what were your thoughts on the DRS not being available to the race? Uh, you know, and and finding themselves kind of at it too late. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we knew going into the race at the beginning that there was not going to be DRS, uh, as we had seen throughout practices and quality earlier, they were very, um, 
uh, cautious uh, with opening up the DRS uh, zones during or zone in this race uh, during the wet conditions. It was an interesting race because of the wet conditions right from the beginning. Obviously, a lot of teams were were eager to see if they could get enough traction to put the slicks on. And that became a huge sort of storyline throughout the race was who was going to blink first. And obviously, Ricardo's race was pretty much run. So he was the he was the guinea pig, if you will. Um but you could even hear in the commentary, and this is one thing I think that's kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I just wasn't as in tune with it last year, but I feel like multiple times this year we've heard Crofty and whomever's doing the analysis with them. Cause it wasn't Peter. It wasn't Martin Brundle this week. It was um, Paul DeResta, but both of them were very kind of tongue in cheek, but like kind of poking fun at the fact that they felt like the race director was being overly cautious. They were kind of taking a bit of digs at them. And I feel like we've heard that a couple times this season. They made jokes about how, you know, one early in the season, the first time we saw a safety car come out, they made jokes about that. And they're definitely aware that, you know, I think people are a lot more, um, you know, or sc- the scrutiny is much tighter on, on, on the new race directors. And, and obviously, you know, whether or not they're actually listening to the broadcast and the commentators making any kind of impact. It certainly was an interesting thing to think about in here when you realize, you know, the broadcast is produced by F1. These guys are F1 employees and they were kind of, they certainly were expressing their frustration. I know fans where I was annoyed because yeah, if you're cheering for one of those teams that was fighting for fighting those tight battles, you can follow really close in these cars, but there's no opportunity to overtake if you don't get that extra 12, you know, or 15, uh, you know, extra kilometers an hour. So DRS really did play a factor. But even then, as we, as you mentioned, you know, for Lewis, it became a DRS train and he couldn't get past Gasly because Gasly couldn't get past Albon. And even though Albon didn't have um, uh, DRS, he just had the pace to kind of hold Gasly just to, at arm's length. And it was probably very frustrating for Lewis. I'm sure it was very frustrating for most of the guys. You look at the timing charts at the end of the day. I mean, literally everyone outside the top 10 and the guy in the 10th position was lapped um, by the leader. So it was definitely a frustrating race because of that. I don't know if the one DRS zone really would have made a difference at the end of the day, because the conditions were what the conditions were, but um, it was a factor for sure. Well, okay. I got three, I got three points to riff off of what you just said there. Um, I, one, I think, don't you think it's a good thing that the announcers are taking the side of a fan's perspective because ultimately they are there to transcribe what is happening on the F1 world that we don't understand to us. And the brilliant announcers in sports are the ones that get on the side of the fans that make those tongue-in-cheek jokes, that make those little comments where it's like, I know every fan out there is frustrated at this and I'm also frustrated and I'm going to tell you why from this perspective of it. Now, two, um, before I get to Lewis Hamilton, I don't believe they opened the DRS zone. Um, I don't think they should have opened it any earlier. And I'll go to, I'll cite one source is last year when they had a wet weather track. And I think it was George Russell following Botas. And he tried to leave in a DRS zone. He tried to leave the dry line to pass Botas. And Botas kind of just made like a little move off the DR, uh, off the dry line. It caused uh, George Russell to spin and took them both out. Yeah, now, at this track. That was at this race. track. That was another. That was exactly so. So yeah. So so put that into perspective from just what we remembered last year. You cannot open that that DRS zone if the, if everybody is now on slicks on the dry line. And the other interesting before again before I get to Lewis because I got some Lewis stuff I want to talk about. But um, before. The, the guys were on the wet tires. Nobody wanted to take that dry line. 
And I thought that was crazy. I was like, well, doesn't a, doesn't a, I understand that an intermediate and a wet tire works best in wet weather because it has the ridges and the pattern to kind of like just ingrain itself in those, uh, the weather on the, on the track, but wouldn't they also be a better, uh, um, tire in the dry line, but I guess the wear and tear is just too, it's too quick and it's just, it would slow it down ultimately. But uh, to see everybody drive the dry line straight and to see everybody go off of it in a different way was so, it was a completely weird thing to watch happen down the straights. But now uh, without all that behind me, Lewis Hamilton at a awful weekend, Lewis Hamilton had a frustrating weekend. Lewis Hamilton had his emotions on his sleeves from qualifying one when he got out of his car or uh, from qualifying when on Friday, when he got out of his car after not making it through Q2 and just started getting angry with the pit crew uh, to then having to follow Gasly um, in the middle of that race, which was interesting at first. It was like, okay, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Oh, I thought like for Gasly sure he was defending. Yeah. I, I, I thought so. I was like, both of them are going to pass Albon and they're, yeah. they're both going to be racing each other up through this, but nothing ever happened from it. And then to make things worse for Lewis, Today, someone asked Pierre Gasly, was it easy to stay ahead of Lewis Hamilton? He said it wasn't easy, but it wasn't that difficult. Uh, so let me jump in on two things. <laughs> now that we're going tit for tit with tit for yeah. tit. That's not a real tit, for, tit for tat. Tit for tat. You're the tit. I'm a tat. <laughs> uh, now that we're going tit for tat on uh, points. Um, let's just go back to the tires for a second. Um, to answer your question, uh, Nico Rosberg actually spoke during the race um, at one point about w- when there was kind of the debate, who's going to be the first guy to go to slicks? They were asking him about what is it like to race on a, when you've got this much of sort of a dry racing line on the inters, what is it like as a driver? And he basically, he, he equated it to being like, imagine like covering you know, a, a moving object in like Vaseline. It's just like everything underneath starts to slip on it because right. the tire itself is 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 melting, literally um, melting. And you kind of get this like molten effect. And he was saying it, it feels like you're driving. It feels like you're driving on ice if you're on dry, hot tires on dry track as opposed to on the on the wet stuff he says they, they, they literally are non-functional on the dry track so that's why you know a lot of those guys were dodging out of the off the dry line to try to get to the to the wet line to keep those tires cool but also just to find that little extra bit of grip and it was interesting because um you know like Verstappen at one point was like he thought it was too early to go to slicks when everybody else did I don't know so if that was him bluffing or again you know there's a lot of those like you've said already you know there's a lot of mind games and things I also think it's tough sometimes on the broadcast because we don't know sometimes those radio calls are like three or four minutes old you know what I mean? that's true yeah um, and then they're 35 minutes or even four weeks different in the drivers five series <laughs> yeah exactly let me jump one and then their and then their narrative is skewed by what netflix decides to yeah. do with the, the let me jump back to what you had to say about lewis but but um, let me start with what you said about Gasly because it was great. Gasly had an awesome race. It was nice to see both Alpha Tories bounce back. I mean, let's give full credit to his teammate, though, in it's Yuki Tsunoda, who finished probably his best race. The, the, clearly, um, something was working for, for the, the Alpha Tories. And it's interesting because both of them kind of did struggle earlier in the weekend, um, but they, yeah. did, they had good sprints and then obviously great race conditions. And, and Tsunoda, who obviously didn't have the pace to compete with like Leclerc and, and Bottas and Russell, the guys who were finishing ahead of him. But, you know, he had a good battle near the end there with with Vettel and and he had had some good 
some some good tangles. It was just nice to see. And this is also their home race along yeah. with Ferrari. So that was nice for them. And then obviously Gasly, yeah, he had a great lots of lots of uh airtime when you're in a battle. Um but then Hamilton, yeah, frustrating weekend. Look, I mean it's funny, like I don't like to I don't always like to like make analogies to like other famous athletes, but there are obvious ones here. You know, when you think about an athlete who has been this dominant in his sport and has found himself really facing the first true kind of adversity that he has faced um, in almost a decade. I mean, it's, it's like Tiger Woods. Um, it's like, you know, several, you know, there's, there's often this kind of part of the narrative of these guys where like all of a sudden it's not quite as easy as it always was for lots of different reasons. And obviously in this case, you know, Hamilton is probably in the same kind of shape he's always been in his car's not clearly he is driving an inferior machine. However, <laughs> however, I would say, I do think that some of the like, a narrative that gets built up around oh he was angry oh he and toto were yelling at each other gets a little bit of an extra kind of competitive frustration is what it is for sure but it gets kind of blown up out it's of proportion because it's Absolutely. lewis hamilton because it's when yeah. it's one of those top guys look lewis and toto were probably both venting and angry at each other like not at each other at the situation is what i mean but they just they're competitors right yeah. so they would get angry and they'd have emotion show but it's Best when it's the fight. first time you've seen that kind of emotion because everything else you've ever seen is the two of them just being you know excited and happy because they've been kicking everybody else's yeah. ass yeah, it, it, it makes for a better story. So uh, that's where I'll leave that. But, uh, um, do you guys really think that we're going to see Lewis Hamilton out of the points for many more races here? Like no. we've seen George Russell here in the Mercedes for the first time. Right, finished in fourth. Finishing fourth. Like this, yeah. it's not a. There, there are some vast differences in a lot of the teams right now. Um, and I think this weekend just happened to be a frustrating weekend for Lewis Hamilton, um, both just as a, like a, a personal driver sure. and as a sure. team because you can't like if you are mercedes and you are lewis hamilton you can't have george russell in fourth and hamilton in 13th when they both essentially have the same car like if something had happened where hamilton got spun around or this or that then because those races happen where you you'd have botas finish seven places above hamilton uh, i think hamilton finished 18th once last year well, as i well, think but... i mean a perfect example is what mclaren mclaren had a great qualifying he finished fourth fifth yeah uh, uh in the North race finishing podium and i mean ricardo probably would have likely stayed up in the points had he not been knocked out by knocked out signs. well don't I say mean, signs or him don't say signs <laughs> Him knocking out. There you signs. go. Him <laughs> knocking out signs. Okay, there we go. Now the truth comes out. What happened now, to you guys? Because I don't, I don't know if anyone's really to blame there. Well, he took two risks. He was the first guy to come off of uh, the intermediate tires and go to slicks, and then he pitted again to go to a hard tire. Which, Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm talking lap one. Who's here? Who's here to blame? Ricardo's this? to blame. And and tell me why. There he had. Um, probably about 17 miles to his left where he could have stayed and <laughs> he decided to go into like directly into but dude first lap, was in front there's of him. 20 other cars around you where i don't think he had Carlos signs was ahead of him he has the right away in that position ricardo had all the room on the left he said he got pushed but there was unless a big gust of wind or a like Which invisible no, giant no, no. came no 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 okay so i i don't disagree with you that, that ricardo is to blame for the contact with Carlos Sainz. However, he he's only responsible for it because he 
he had an opportunity to, as you say, Tyler, move to his right. He's hit by the by the Alpha the Alpha Romeo, and there is clearly contact there because there's just too many cars in the area. That's why I think they called it a racing incident. It's so hard to pick that apart at full speed and know exactly what's what. But Ricardo had an opportunity. If you want to pick nits, he's the only one who really had any space to do anything different, I think. But it's like, can we talk about how horrible, like, if you want to talk about bad luck, let's, Lewis Hamilton is on cloud nine compared to where Carlos Sainz is right now. Back to back races. He doesn't make it out of the first lap. This is the home race for Ferrari. All the expectations that have been on this kid. He just signs a new deal. Like, my God, can you imagine what the 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 nightmares he is having right now? The kid's yeah. gonna have like PTSD for the rest of the season if he can't turn this around. He's never won a race, and yet he's in the. I mean, he's never won a race in his career, and he finds himself this year literally in the fastest car oh, he has no. ever been in in his life. His teammate is on top of the world until later in the race, but he's so still leading the championship. <laughs> He's leading the championship. Yeah. And Carlos Sainz is looking around being like, what am I doing wrong here? And the honest truth is he's not doing a lot wrong. It's just that this sport plays with the finest of margins. And unfortunately for him, he's finding himself on the wrong side of these kind of incidents. And these are growing pains for Ferrari. Would you not agree that these are two young drivers, two top five drivers, you could argue in Mm -hmm. like expectations and youth for Ferrari. And you have to like signs has had bad luck in the last two races. Charles Leclerc has, this is the first time he's been in the lead of the, um, the driver's championships. And that mistake he made when I'm sitting there watching, like, okay, I unfortunately had a spoiler where I already knew Verstappen won. So as I'm watching the race with 10 laps left, I'm going, okay, well, I know Verstappen's won. So this seems like this last nine laps are just going to be kind of cut and dry and everyone's just going to get there. And it's going to be, and then as I'm thinking that, Leclerc makes a driver error, beaches his car over top of that turn in the chicane and essentially just goes off track for no reason other than he was so desperate to pass Perez on lap 10 for some reason, when all he has a, a little bit of like a couple more years under his belt, he'll realize don't need to pass him this lap. I am the leader of this entire championship. I can try to pass him in four laps in five laps. And if I don't pass him, it's better for me not to crash my car and finish sixth when I can just like be a little, just have a little more subtlety, a little more patience, maybe finish second or maybe finish third. I mean, yeah, like he, that mistake cost him seven points. And at the end of the day, we know how critical every point is. But I think that is also what the problem for, for Charles Leclerc is. Like you look at what we remember from the race previous where he was so clearly going to win the Australian Grand Prix. Like it was miles ahead of everybody else. And yet he was, what, 15 laps before the end to already thinking about shouldn't we change tires and go get the fastest lap for that single yeah. point? And the only reason he changed tires during this race was for that single single point and an opportunity to get back at second. He wasn't winning. There was no way he was catching Max at that point in the race. So you're making these calculated decisions. I think on these, I, 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 I don't understand his urgency and fear other than, like you said, some inexperience, but they're like Ferrari's not, not everyone working at Ferrari is this inexperienced. Some of these guys have been with this team since they were finding success before with Kimmy or even earlier. I just think that they have never, they have, they have not been in this position right now um, for, for so many years that I think they are, as you say, it's growing pains, but I think it's bigger than that. I think that there is this paranoia about how tight last year was that everyone is terrified of giving yeah. up any points, but in doing so here's, here's your risk, risk, risk reward benefit. One point extra 
or the seven points you give up. Where's the yeah. smarter choice? Take the conservative option. Say, look, we were beat fair and square today. Land on the podium, get those points, and come back. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. There's 23 freaking yes. races. Yeah, and they're making their Ferrari right now. I think because they've been out of the competition for first place for for a while now, they are trying to like, oh well, we are what Mercedes and Red Bull were last year. Like, we're gonna get the the fastest lap as well as win because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, no, no, guys, you you're just now back on top. Just be slow about it. Just be cool about it. Let's just let's just get to the just end of the race. Slow let's get about racing. Fifteen, yeah. Well, just like those decisions. Like you don't need the you don't need that one yeah. point. Jordan yeah. said you'd rather have you lost seven points by trying to to pass Perez on lap with the tenth lap left when you could have waited and done it on the sixth lap lap left or the fifth lap left. You know, guys, it's crazy to me still how much we're seeing the balancing happening in these cars, specifically Ferrari and Mercedes too. Like I think George Russell came out kind of complaining about the pain that it causes. How much faster would these cars actually be though without that? So uh, Mercedes, it's uh, to bring that up to your point uh, today, I was looking into it. Mercedes is one of the worst porpoising cars and George Russell came out and uh, said that it's, it's uh, like affecting him now. It uh, looks like it's, it, it would be so uncomfortable. Yeah. And so what they're doing over the next two weeks before Miami is they're going to try, because right now they have to raise their front right side to keep the, the car from less porpoising, but that's also what's slowing down the cars. They want a lower um, front wing. So they're going to try to lower the front wing again with some of the upgrades. They don't know what it's going to do to the porpoising, but also at this point, they're just like, well, can like probably kind of looking at George Russell and, and Lewis Hamilton be like, could you just deal with like a little bit more and we can go a bit faster? Well, I can't, I can't let this, uh, I can't camp off this race without just commending the efforts of Valtteri Bottas. This is an Alfa Romeo that's finishing in fifth. I mean, we talked about it last race at the Australia, but like to watch, I mean, I know, I know, I bet there's just an added concerted effort watching that Mercedes car that he used to be driving ahead of him uh, as he chased George Russell down the end of the race, <laughs> just like watching him, just give me my car back, <laughs> go back with my car. I don't think he wants anything to do with that Mercedes. Him getting out of that Mercedes at the time he did was either very lucky or very calculated. And he only finished one second uh, or less behind uh, George Russell in that Mercedes and only nine seconds behind McLaren, uh, Lando Norris's car. But he had a 17 second pit stop. He got stopped. He had another lug nut, uh, another problem with his um, bolt coming off on his front tire or then putting back on. He cannot get away from those pit stop differences. But that one pit stop I was watching, and I was just like, it, it follows Botas. For some yeah. reason, those pit stops follow Botas. But man, like. And yeah, finishing fifth in an Alfa Romeo. Yes. yes. Yeah. And that's the, this won't be, he will get a podium this year. He is, he is driving. Uh, with fire yeah and i i i I agree i think bottas is is driving great um but i also think that you know we were just moments ago talking about how great gasly's race was because he was in front of hamilton he didn't get a point ocon didn't get a point albon didn't get a point you know even ricardo and 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 uh i mean alonso didn't even finish again but like you look at the teams that have been struggling and you're starting to see them turn corners mclaren's obviously the most improved for sure yes. but right behind them is aston martin yeah you know and aston haas, martin uh, had the magnuson's been climb. driving well for haas yeah but yeah but magnuson was driving well in the first race of the season 
right? His best yeah. results. I'm oh, you're saying, saying the turnaround. I'm saying yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of turnaround from yeah. where they started to where well, they are right yeah. now, I think as a team to have both of those drivers right there driving to the same potential and getting points for that team, they have to be happy with those results. They have to yes. be, uh, in, 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 you know, whether it's simply the drivers are improving or the or any upgrades or things they're changing. Sure. We also know, look, like everyone wants to rag on Lance Stroll. That's fair. There's lots to be criticized like criticized about why he's there and all of those things. But the truth is he's still capable of driving this car right to the limit. Um, whether he always makes the best decisions is a different conversation, but the truth is Lance Stroll throughout his career, if you go and look at it has always done well in the ring. He's one of those drivers who does enjoy the adversity of the weather, much like we've seen Magnuson um, succeed this, this weekend. He succeeded at earlier points in his career, but Stroll likes driving in the rain. He put his car in a great position. Yes. He was the last of those guys, as I joked about to be lapped, but look, that's big point. Even if it's just one point for a team that at one point didn't think that they were even going to sniff the middle of the table. So I got one more thing to say about Imola. Um, Just the difference between like, I know we talked about Ricardo a little bit earlier, but I, I, some like some what is going on with Ricardo because what um, Lando Norris is doing and what Ricardo is doing are completely different sides, like in terms of trending. Like Ricardo's trending down, and well, how, I mean, yeah, he got into a, he got into a bit of a scrap, and that put him out of the race. No, he caused a little bit of a scrap. That's 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 discretionary. I don't. But think even when he got down to 18th, he why like, he couldn't come he back. Jumped to that. He, he jumped car. up to 12th. He There's jumped no... up to 12th, and then he had some. Well, they they tried. I think they were the first team to try putting uh, slicks on, uh, just to try to kind of push back in. He got to 12th. That was a good decision. I'm not sure exactly. What... He was out of the race ever since he put those hard tires on. But yeah. I just wish that you could trade in F1, and we could get Ricardo <laughs> out of that McLaren. And we could put Gasly in there next to, uh, to Lando Norris. Pierre Gasly, Lando Norris, and McLaren. How about how do you feel about that, Brady? I feel very good about that. Would that would that change the hat on your head? Uh, yeah, I would go over with. I go where Pierre Gasly goes. Those McLaren cars look very very nice. They do. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I, mean, I don't wear orange well. But <laughs> Ricardo finished sixth, right behind Norris, and fifth in Australia. I think one bad race is too small a sample size. Well, I don't know. You were trending. In you were saying Hamilton's direction. trending in a, the opposite direction. I think he just had one bad race too. Uh, all right. This week's episode is brought to us by Ellipses Thinking. Ellipses Thinking is the newest podcast from the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Host Greg Dowler Coltman shares his conversations with people actively engaged in their own creative adventures. Those who identify as artists and those who choose to experience life through an artistic lens. They shed light on relationships that shape and inspire us as we meet the challenges, discoveries, and learnings we make when we courageously invite our creative spirit forth. You can subscribe now or follow anywhere you get your podcasts. I had somebody who reached out talking about Porsche and Audi joining F1. And there's different ways you can join F1. We can do it just engine-wise or you can do it team-wise. And team-wise, it costs you a ton of money. Um, you have to give a certain amount of money to each team in order to get a car on the track. Um, but what Porsche and Audi have been wanting to do, and I think both of them fall under um, Volkswagen, if I'm not uh, wrong, but what they, what they have been talking about is getting back in just on the engine side of things. Um, with two different kind of mentalities about it. Porsche has been talking with Red Bull. So we all know that Red Bull has been making their own engine. 
they are wanting to get into F1 and they also work with ExxonMobil, the gas company, so they can help with the fuel cells and the um, efficiency and, and all of that stuff that goes along with um, clean energy. But uh, they've been talking with Rebel about getting back in in 2026. And the problem with that is Audi, which also wants to come back in, they want to not work with somebody, but they want their own engine in their own car. There's two different ways to look at it. Porsche and that side probably have a little bit more um, staying power if they work with a team that's already incorporated in, like Red Bull, who has said, like, we're making our own engine, yes, but we also would not go, like, we would not just turn our head without taking a couple meetings at a, a, a manufacturer that has been in the sport before that knows how to make an engine, that knows how to make a fast engine, that, know, that also has a fan base behind it. So it would not be crazy to me if Red Bull and Porsche um, come up with some type of contract this year for the 2026 season. Would this be an association with that team or would they just be a provider of an engine? They would probably have an association with the team, but it would be Red Bull. It would be what Red Bull is now, but instead of like Red Bull with a Honda engine, it would be Red Bull with a Porsche, a Porsche engine, engine and also AlphaTauri, then the sister car, um, quotes, would, be finger quotes would also be go to a Porsche uh, driven engine. Uh, that'd be interesting. Well, a couple things, both Audi and Porsche, I think in the last week or so had made it clear that although they have expressed much interest and have had uh, the preliminary conversations with a few teams, uh, they are going to wait till the 2026 engine regulations are announced because that will be yes. the big um, sort of change. So we've seen the big regulation changes with the actual physical car structure, the aero package, the wings, all of that kind of stuff. But we are waiting to see what the next major change in the engine um, power unit system is going to be, because it will be about fuel. It will be about how much of that fuel is sort of flex fuel, ethanol, all of those kind of things. What are the rules about what that engine needs to have in it? All of that kind of stuff. That will be the big determiner for, uh, for them about what the sort of decision they choose to make. As Tyler said, and I think he's bang on the nose, there are two sort of processes for, for these manufacturers one would be to field their own team very expensive very difficult to do right now with everything going on not out of the realm of possibility we have obviously heard about andretti motorsports looking at the same kind of system they might have a partnership opportunity there with one of these other players lots of major car manufacturers have jumped into f1 over the years and you know for in a lot of different ways as tyler also said i think it's much more likely we see a partnership now the big one that's really interesting that just came out this week too is that um, Tyler mentioned the Red Bull situation, which I think is very interesting for Red Bull. They're building their own power unit. That doesn't mean that there aren't parts of that engine system that they wouldn't like to sort of partner with someone on to make it a little bit more efficient and helpful. Not unlike what they're kind of doing with Honda unofficially. Both Williams and Aston Martin have apparently expressed interest in working with Audi or working with, mm -hmm. with Porsche. I think more on the Audi side right now. There is even a report, I think is early as Sunday or, or Monday of this week that uh, Lawrence Stroll has um, discussed the potential of selling the Aston Mar Martin racing team to Audi and letting that be the way Audi gets into the sport. You could just take the team that already exists, remove the Aston Martin brand, or even sell the, you know, the make it a, an Aston Martin Audi thing or whatever. The logistics of are, are all obviously negotiable for Williams. It's interesting because Williams still being kind of an independent team that isn't directly 
related to a car manufacturer and sort of the more old fashioned way that Formula One was. That's an interesting one because that would be very much breaking with tradition. But at this point, I think Williams is open to anything. Um, I just want to point one more thing out because this is kind of I hadn't really thought about this until I started reading it. We talk about Audi. We talk about Porsche. But what we're really talking about is Volkswagen. Yes. Because yeah. Volkswagen owns both of those brands. Yes. Um, and so when you think about it from the perspective of Volkswagen, that's a huge opportunity for them to get into the Formula One game as well as an engine manufacturer, whether it's a Porsche engine or it's an Audi engine or it's simply a VW engine. Um, because you also have to remember, we have several, we have 10 teams, right? But we only have four engine manufacturers right we've got the renault engine in the alpine we've got the mercedes engine in the mclaren the williams and obviously the mercedes as well right now as i believe in the aston martin and then you have the ferrari engine that's in the ferrari and in the haas and then you have what is kind of the red bull engine i guess the honda red bull engine um that's in the red bull and the alpha tori so from the perspective of volkswagen what they really care about is just getting their product into these cars, making some kind of deal with one of these teams, whether the brand is attached to it or not, is more, I think, valuable to the specific Audi or Porsche part of it. So it's a long winded answer, but I think that, that it's a great question that someone posed to you, Tyler, because there's so many moving pieces about where the sport goes. We've seen how much it's grown. That's I mean, this, it's the sports story of the year is how F1 has exploded. Everybody wants a piece of it, whether it's cities wanting a race to come to them or now, in this case, every manufacturer of high performance mm. vehicles wants a piece of this Formula One action because they see the value both marketing wise and also just to get their product. In. Yeah. And the 2026 is a good point because Volkswagen, Porsche, Audi, whatever you want to call them at this point, they are very, very much wanting it to become more of a cleaner, um, yeah. cleaner fuel, fuel system um, and fuel for those cars. Um, which is why they haven't jumped in in earlier years. Uh, well, you're right in that everybody wants a piece of this uh, F1. And one of the cities that finally has an opportunity is Miami. We're getting the inaugural crypto.com Miami Grand Prix. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that what it's called? The crypto.com? Crypto.com has put their name on everything, including the brand new street race in Miami, uh, Guys, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. I think we've got a, a matinee, a North American matinee, 1.30 Mountain Standard Time, new, uh, noon thirty <laughs> Pacific time. Uh, you guys must be excited about this race as, as much as I am. I remember when they first announced it a year ago. I was I was kind of jumping at the bit to wanting it to be in the the, the previous season. Yeah, it feels like Miami is a spot that has heritage with racing uh, they have the like daytona 500s in daytona obviously but it's right around the corner and um it's got that atmosphere that f1 loves and it's got a track that i think has three drs zones 19 turns it's built around that uh, dolphin stadium so you could theoretically walk around the stadium at the top of the stadium and see every and turn oh man it, yeah and see everything but um right now the i mean it's, it's going to be a race. And right now it's obviously Verstappen and Leclerc are the odds on favorite, like one and one, a one B. And, uh, and then you got Perez and science junior behind them. So it's uh, I mean, I don't know what to expect. It's the first time that this race is, is, is happened. And there's, there's elevation changes. There's turn 19 turns. There's going to be three. Like it's, it, it's, it'll be, I, you, 
I have no idea what to say. About it. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost for words. Yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, it will be the 11th different venue that the United States has hosted a Formula One race. Um, and as Tyler said, you know, it's a, I think it's 56, seven laps. There's some really That's interesting wow. spaces. Apparently they tried, they simulated like 23 or 24 yeah. different circuit layouts. Um, and this is what they finally settled on to sort of wow. maximize um, getting the most out of the race, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but I think what's most exciting is that you know, as like, I, I feel like I'm a broken record, but formula one right now is huge. Everyone in North America who gives a shit about sports is it's at least they're paying attention to some level. Yeah. I think there are a lot more people invested in it. This is a big step towards what I think is the future of this sport, which is even more global than it had already been, which was a little more, you know, Europe and, and middle Eastern um, sort of centric, uh, obviously Austin and Montreal deserve credit. They've been here for a long time in south america but north america is just just like completely uh losing their minds over formula one and this is a great opportunity to have a midday race on a sunday uh, i think it'll be fun i think the drivers are excited which is always fun and it's always interesting when you get a new circuit because no one goes into it knowing anything about what they should expect and the drivers will have done simulations they will have done it you know in uh, they will have done lots of laps in the simulator the teams will have run as much data as they possibly can but like this is the kind of time when practice time and that qualifying session you know you don't know what's going to happen somebody's going to find that little extra line or somebody's going to find that little extra thing in one of those corners it's going to make all the difference and it's going to be really fun to see how how it plays out i think that they've set themselves up well here for the for this to be something that they continue to do so this could be the first of hopefully what is many many miami grand prix or whatever they're calling it crypto.com you know whatever um but i'm excited i just think it's fun i enjoyed when we had uh the race in Australia because the time zones worked out in such a way that we could watch it like the day before at 10 PM. This will be great to have, you know, on Sunday, but mid midday prime sports watching time. Perfect for an American sporting event, like the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, do you guys know qualifying? So qualifying's on uh, the Saturday, Saturday, obviously. Is this a sprint or is no, this uh, no. t- time trials? Okay. Time no, trials. Yeah. You well, know, like in traditional Mario qualifying. Kart. Yeah. Like Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, somebody, somebody was asking me about F1 the other day, and I was like, well, have you played Mario Kart? Like, it's not far off. And I mean, just get rid of the green shells and the banana peels, but, you know, that happens sometimes. In terms of its scoring system, it's a, it's a tiered scoring system. So, uh, anyhow, we've got uh, a, a lot of fun coming <laughs> that up. Is, that is really boiling it down to its base with that analogy. Well, it kind of is, is. Beyond <laughs> it just being racing. That's, uh, there's like three races. You just add up the total of where you finish by the end of it. That's over. And the winner gets to choose the next uh, circuit you do. <laughs> but no one's allowed to be Bowser. <laughs> Who would be Bowser in the, in the, in the drivers, out of the drivers? Oh, I, who's the guy who just takes everybody out? That's Latifi. Whoever just crashes into everybody else. Uh, just quickly before we end there, uh, or if I don't even know, are we close to the end? I don't even how long we've been. We're close to the end. I was just yeah. gonna, I was gonna touch on when practice qualifying and the race were, and then we were oh. gonna sign off. But I have a couple. Um, it sounds like, like you want to say something. Yeah, just based on <laughs> some things I noticed this weekend that I don't know if if you guys noticed at all, but so everyone's doing a little different wheel paint thing with um going on like McLaren's got the Google colors and yeah, yeah. Uh, Alvatore's in the white. Did you guys notice that on the medium tires, which are have a yellow ring around them to signify these are the mediums that Red Bull put a red stripe around 
about two inches down from their yellow line, just a red stripe around there. And I got to thinking, is that gamesmanship? Because if you just have a quick look, like if you're, if you're Ferrari and you're like, what are they putting on? What are they putting ah. on? And someone just slowly sees or quickly sees the car zoom by. Like I saw a red stripe. I saw a red stripe. Would that make anyone think twice about, and I was just got in my head and I thought about it for way too long, like 20 laps. And I was like, that's either <laughs> genius or like, I'm really overthinking this. And then they put the soft tires on, which have a red stripe. And it also had a red stripe. And I was like, okay, there goes my entire theory. Cause it would have been cool if they had a yellow painted, a yellow stripe uh, on, on the, the inside of it. I'd be like, yeah. that's genius. Yeah. Um, but they're that's not that smart. No, there's some other reason. Smart, yeah. We got to come up with what that reason is though. And then the only other thing I thought was, has anyone turned around their likeness faster than Perez has in the last couple of seasons? I hated Perez. And now I'm like, he is an ultimate team player. He has completely the changed only, the view about the only one, The only one who's probably had a better rehabilitation, or, or at least on par rehabilitation is George Russell. I think Gasly, like out of Red Bull, was, they were, I mean, no, no, he, no, but he but lost I think, a seat. I think, too. I think though that what Tyler means, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he means more like reputation amongst like fans and viewers because yeah. like Netflix did a number on Paris to begin with yes. and they were pretty yeah, harsh yeah. on George Russell. Paris, yeah. uh, Gasly was, I think has always been a, one of the better per- portrayed guys on, on the Netflix show because I think he's a genuinely good guy, but he's also just kind of been portrayed well, but George Russell, I think, and both, I think that's fair. Both of those guys. And then you got guys like Lance Stroll. There's nothing to rehabilitate. Yeah. But well, what are we, <laughs> why, would you do, we why did you take such do? a nice conversation and just yeah. shit on Lance Stroll at the end of it? Lando Norris would be in the opposite direction as well. Cause they, they've definitely the last, put a number the last season. Yeah, the for last, sure. The last season, yeah. they, they definitely pitted against him. Yeah. Which is why the show's kind of, going downhill and also at the end of the race when they have the three guys in the podium sitting down together watching the highlights of the race that's super cool and i must say that as cool as like or as much as we've seen lewis hamilton on the podium not having him on the podium and having three super young fun guys just sitting there and kind of like just talking about the race is a completely different feel at the end of each race as it is with hamilton and verstappen not liking each other shaking hands and then walking away like so you that, see Leclerc so what walk you were, to Verstappen right yeah, after. So what you were watching there is the cool down room. Yes. Uh, which they used to have uh, <laughs> and went away for COVID reasons. But it has often yeah. been one of those rooms where there's great drama. I would encourage you or anyone who has YouTube, uh, which is anyone, uh, to go watching the show. out there and Google uh, the cool down room incident between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. It will summarize Ooh. the entire feud for you in one video clip so really? if you don't know what i'm talking Ooh, about every time nico rosberg on. comes on to the commentary and he's kind of a little bit like glib and happy that lewis isn't doing well go watch that and then you can go down the rabbit hole of when the two of them were teammates and how much they absolutely hated each other but just the incident in the cool down room i think hamilton literally throws nico's like no spoilers hat at go watch it go no watch spoilers it. oh I'm, I'm watching it right go now watch it. Anyway, <laughs> the cool down room is great you're right it's a big part of the sport anyway uh thank okay. you boys this was fun thank you yeah. thank you so again uh the crypto.com Miami grand prix you can find this sunday uh 1 30 uh mountain center time 12 30 pacific center time we got qualifying practice a couple days before here and uh we'll catch you all after this
Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.